Hey, welcome to New City Online. My name's Ron, I'm one of the pastors here at New City. If this is your first time joining us, we wanna give a special welcome to you. You can learn so much about New City Church through our website, newcity.us. And if you're ready to take a step to connect with us, to plug in the community, or just raise your hand and let us know you're here, you can do that at newcity.us slash connect. Also wanna take a moment to say thank you to those who give so faithfully to the work here at New City. If you'd like to support all that God's doing at this church, you can do so at newcity.us give. If you're a guest or just checking us out for the first time, please feel no obligation to give. Now let's continue to worship together.
Jesus. Father, we exalt your name this morning. Thank you for this beautiful name, this wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. The name that can only break every chain. We believe in this truth and I thank you that we can declare it with our mouths this morning. God, we love you. Help us to have listening ears and an open heart as we listen to this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us today at New City Online as we continue in our study from the book of Daniel. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or you have the New City app close to you, go ahead and open it up and look at Daniel chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me just give a quick summary of the first three chapters in the book of Daniel. If you've been following along with us, hopefully these will be a bit of a refresher. And if this is your first weekend joining us and watching the Daniel study, hopefully you can catch up here with a top 10 list. Uh, from the first three chapters of the book of Daniel. We'll start number one with Babylon was not just a place on a map, it's a place in our hearts. You know, we talked about the real place of Babylon that existed, uh, that was a huge empire, but the reality is Babylon wasn't just a geographic space, it's a philosophy. Uh, Isaiah uh, summarized the philosophy of Babylon, kind of the mindset of the Babylonian, when he said, I am and there is none beside me. And I think you might agree with me that that philosophy still exists today, that we just kind of live for ourselves. We don't think about anybody else or any other repercussions of our decisions. And so Babylon is, is the backdrop on the, of the book of, of Daniel, or most of it. And just the idea that it's not just a place on a map, but it exists today in our hearts and our minds. And we have to battle and, and really push against that from having a place in our hearts. And then the second thing is, in a crisis, you know, you can work on your escape plan or you can know that God has a plan. And so the, the, the you know, kind of reasoning behind this one is, you know, Daniel is taken from his home in Jerusalem and his three friends that we read about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all taken from Jerusalem. They're, they're only 15 years old. And I think like in a crisis when things don't go our way and they're just not going according to plan, it's easy for us to kind of go into like a escapism and I'm just going to figure my way out of this and however I can hit the door and get to the exit the quickest, that's what I'm going to do when things aren't going my way or in a crisis. But actually, the crisis that is the context of Daniel was exactly what God had planned. And in his sovereignty, he allowed for it to happen for his greater plan of redemption to come to be. And so in our own crisis in our life and the, and the things that aren't going the way that we want them to in our marriages or our relationships or our jobs, you know, we can work on our escape plans, which is so easy to do to kind of hit the exit. Or we can know, you know what, God has a plan. And even in the midst of this crisis and things that aren't going the way that I would want them to go, I'm trusting in God's sovereignty and that, that he has a plan that he can work in and through all of this for good. Here's number three. There's nothing more dangerous than friendly captivity. 
You know, in chapter 1, we read about the Babylonians allowing the captives to eat from their table, and they clothed them, and they educated them for for three years in the Babylonian ways. And it could be really easy to to mistake that comfort and that that friendliness um, for for something, you know, that that you wanted to follow or allow in your hearts. Like, you know, all of us can can search for prosperity or comfort. We're going to read about that a little bit later on, instead of what God really wants to do. And so there's nothing more dangerous than, than being held captive by our own comfort. And, and I think, you know, when we look at Babylon and Daniel and his friends and the situation they were in, it was, it was a friendly captivity, but it was captivity nonetheless. And they never forgot that, like who they worshiped and who they were following. And we can't either. Number four, the best cure for your pain, I love this one, is God's meaning. We see that in Daniel's life. I mean, this had to be such a painful experience for him to be ripped away from his family, from his home, from the temple where he grew up worshiping. That had to be so painful. And yet God was faithful to provide all kinds of meaning in the midst of his pain. And so, you know, there's so many different ways that we try to cure our pain. You know, for most of us, you know, whatever the quickest cure is for our pain, that's what we look for. But ultimately, the best cure for the pain that you're experiencing even today is meaning. It's meaning. It's God's purpose coming to pass in your life, even in the midst of difficulty or pain or confusion. Here's number five. When you bow down before God, you can stand before anyone. When you bow down before God, you can stand before anyone. We see, you know, Daniel and his friend Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when, when Nebuchadnezzar sets up this image for them to bow down to, they, they refuse because they bow down to the one true God. And they stand, uh, not so much in defiance of Nebuchadnezzar, but in a resolve to only worship God. When you bow before God, you can stand before anyone. Number six, one godly decision can change everything. Let's go all the way back to chapter 1 and circle verse 8 because that's the pivot verse of the whole story of Daniel. In fact, I would argue that Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 is the theme verse of the entire story of Daniel, the entire book of Daniel. Uh, Those first three words, but Daniel resolved. Daniel made a decision a godly decision to follow God no matter what, even in the midst of difficulty. And we talked about the first seven verses of Daniel are super sad. And if the story would have ended right there, it just would have been another sad story in the world. And there's so many of them. But what makes the story of Daniel so redemptive is his resolve to follow God even in the midst of of sadness, especially in the midst of sadness. And so one godly decision can change everything in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, your city, your country, your world. So here's maybe just the application for some of us today. Go and make the next godly decision in your life. It's the most important decision that you have to make. It's the next one, the godly decision that you make. Number seven, when you resist the gifts of Babylon, you'll receive the gifts of heaven. When we say no to the gifts of Babylon, the the food of King Nebuchadnezzar, the drink of Nebuchadnezzar, all the things that the Babylon wanted to entice us with, the comforts, if you will, back to that one. When you resist those and resolve to follow God, you receive the gifts of heaven. It says that when Daniel and his friends refused the table of the king and dependency on Babylon and the prosperity and comfort that came along with that, that friendly captivity, when they resisted that, they received the gifts of heaven. They got insight, understanding. They, the, the Bible says that they were 10 times better than every other captive in Babylon because they resisted 
the gifts of Babylon, they receive the gifts of heaven. Here's number eight. We are image bearers, not image builders. Do you remember that one from chapter three? Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he puts this 90-foot statue up. He becomes this image builder. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Nebuchadnezzar today. And he, he builds this image of himself that he wants everyone else to worship. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We can build up this image that we want everyone else to bow down to, or we can chase after another image that's been built for us to worship that's not the one true God. Instead, what God asks us to do is to bear his image, not build our own image or chase someone else's image, but to bear the image of the one that we were made in his, in, in his image, in the likeness of. We're meant to not receive glory, but do what? to reflect glory. So we're image bearers uh, of the one true God, not, not image builders of, of some kind of fake or substitute for God. Number nine, God will deliver you from the fire. From last week, we looked at the fiery furnace, one of the best known stories in all of the Bible in chapter three. And we talked about how God delivers us. God is a deliverer, just his character, his nature. He's mighty to save, he's a deliverer. And we talked about three ways that God delivers. He delivers by the fire, or excuse me, from the fire, where we don't even have to experience it. And oftentimes, we don't even know that God spared us from it. We won't even know that until we get to heaven. All the different fires that God uh, delivered us from, we never had to go through it. The second way that God delivers is through the fire. Sometimes God allows us to go through difficult things, to experience trials and fires in our lives, to, to, to make us stronger. Our faith is refined. All the impurities are, are pulled out and, and we grow closer to God through that. And then sometimes in God's sovereignty, God delivers by the fire. He takes us from this world and into glory by a fire. And, and, and I, don't, I can't explain that. But we trust him that God delivers us, and he delivers from, through, and by. And here's the final one, the tenth one. And we haven't even covered this yet, so here's a bonus. This is a bonus one, new today. God is my judge. That's what the name Daniel means. So if you're taking notes in your Bible or on your phone or someplace, maybe just write the word Daniel, and then write out to the side, God is my judge. That's literally what, what the word means. And so, you know, God, if God is my judge, this is what we see in Daniel's life. If God is my judge, no one else needs to be right? If, if, if God is our judge, nobody else needs to be. We don't have to look to anybody else for approval when we're looking to the one true God. So now you're caught up in the first three chapters, and that brings us to Daniel chapter 4. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there with me, because today is an important day. We're going to be saying goodbye to, to our old friend, our old pal, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, just like Daniel, we've seen the two of them grow up together. When we meet Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 1 along with Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is 25 years old and Daniel is 15 years old. And we kind of watch these two grow up together and, and kind of go back and forth in the first four chapters of the book of Daniel. And, and, and in chapter 4, we, we say goodbye to him. Uh, it's kind of his farewell address. And, and what I entitled the message today, if you're taking notes, is Lessons from a Lunatic. Because I think it's fair to say, with what we know about Nebuchadnezzar, what we've read about him, he was a lunatic. I mean, he, he really was consumed with, with pride. And we read all throughout uh, the first four chapters of Daniel, he, he, his rage and his, his anger. He's, he's quick to execute people and to sentence people to death and to destroy homes and capture other people. He really was a lunatic. And yet, 
God was working on Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see that today. And there are many lessons that we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar. There's a lot of warnings, clear warning signs along the way that that should humble us as we look to his life and we should learn from him. And here's the bottom line today as we as we look to the life of Nebuchadnezzar and we say goodbye to him in chapter four, here's the bottom line that I want you to remember. Be humble before God or be humbled by God. Bottom line, as we look at the life of Nebuchadnezzar and particularly in chapter four today, as we finish looking at his life and say goodbye to him, be humble before God or be humbled by God. All right, so let's jump into chapter four. Everything kind of comes to a boiling point here when we begin uh, chapter four. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, is continuing in his lunacy and his madness and his pride, and God's not going to allow him to fake it anymore. God's not going to be mocked. And so once again, what we're going to read here is that God tries to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. It's not the first time. If we go back to chapter two, we read all about this dream that God haunted Nebuchadnezzar with to try to humble him and get his attention back to our bottom line. If, you, if you're not willing to be humble before God, you're going to be humbled by God. And that's what we see happening again here in chapter four. And maybe, just maybe, Nebuchadnezzar's going to listen this time. We'll, we'll see. Nebuchadnezzar, interestingly, in context, is actually writing part of this story to us. We know that this is first-person historical narrative. Daniel is retelling his story. But evidently in this portion, as the two of them were connected together, Nebuchadnezzar is dictating this part of the the, the story through Daniel to us. He's, He's telling us a portion of his story. And again, it almost reads like a farewell address. And he he addresses a very broad group of people. Look at it with me. Beginning of verses 1 and 2. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race, very broad group, every race and nation and language throughout the world. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 29, he uses that same language, this broad group of people. And he says, peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. What an interesting kind of curious greeting here. Uh, He's seemingly giving like credit to God, but it's an interesting phrase. He says, I want you to know about all these signs and wonders that God has done for me, almost as if God is, is performing at his command under his authority. And then Nebuchadnezzar goes into another dream that he was having. He says, you know, I was going about my life kind of living in comfort and prosperity, and I had this dream. And if you read along here with me, beginning in verse 5, it says, you know, this dream frightened me. It was like a nightmare. And he has this this vision that that terrified him as he he lays in his his bed. And then he begins to, to sort of like talk about the dream. And so beginning in verse 10 and all the way through 18, I'm just going to story tell it for time's sake. Go read it for yourself. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar begins to tell us. It's really interesting, again, because he's dictating this. He's telling us his story. And specifically, he's telling us the story of this dream that, that God sort of haunts him with. And he says, I dreamed about this tree, this mighty tree that grew out of the middle of the earth, and it, and it grew all the way to the heavens, And it was this really um, full tree that provided shade for all creation, and it provided food and fruit um, for all the animals. And then a messenger from heaven, an angel, 
a, a, a holy one came down and, and said that the tree should be chopped down to its, to its stump. And so he's, he's telling us this, this story. And he says, you know, it, it, it would come back, um, but, but God is wanted, wanted to communicate uh, through the dream that the lowliest of people um, could, could be in charge, that like even the lowliest of people, all people are under his rule and his domain. So if you, if you finish up there in verse 17, he, he says, you know, like this message was given to me from the dream and this seer or this angel um, that was commanded by the holy ones, um, that basically that God's in charge, that this is, this is his kingdom, this is his rule, his reign, and even um, the lowliest of people, he can give them anything that he wants. He can do whatever he wants with, with people. All right, so just really quickly, what's fascinating, if you, if you look at verse 10, this large tree in the middle of the earth, a lot of commentators think that it, it kind of harkens back to Eden, the Garden of Eden, and just this, it's this metaphor of creation and, and, and God's design and, and the order that God created the world in. But then the other thing that it harkens back to is Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, which some of you might remember um, was constructed in the, in the very place that Babylon existed in the plains of Shinar. And, and if you remember Genesis 11, people built this tower up so that they can make a great name for themselves and, and sort of reach heaven on their own merits and their own efforts. And so this tree kind of represents um, humanity trying to make it on their own. This, this construct of, of, of mankind or creation being higher than the creator. And what happens is the tree is chopped down and the messenger of heaven gives this, this message of like, of humility that no, all of creation is, is subject um, to the most high God. And so Nebuchadnezzar tells this dream, right? And then who does he go to to interpret the dream? Like if we look at chapter two and you go back and read that, you know, he, he asked Daniel to interpret the dream because he knows that Daniel can, can hear from God. And so he goes to Daniel and he says, hey, you know, Daniel, uh, Belshazzar was his Babylonian name. He says, I know that you have the spirit of God in you and that you can interpret this dream. And so Daniel gives an interpretation. And again, just for time's sake today, let me just story tell it. Uh, in verses 19 through 27, we see the interpretation that, that God gives to Daniel to convey to Nebuchadnezzar. And essentially what Daniel says is, look, Nebuchadnezzar, this, this dream is about you. And the tree, this mighty tree that reaches the heavens, that feeds all the earth and provides shade, it's you and it's your kingdom. And essentially what God wants to say to you is that you need to humble yourself because your pride and your lunacy and, and your desire and lust for power has corrupted you from the inside out. And so the tree of your kingdom, your life is going to be chopped down all the way to the stump. But, but it, it, you can receive your kingdom back. Go to verse uh, 26 here if you're following along. He says, it's down to the stump. It's not completely gone. It can come back, but it only is going to come back. You'll receive it back when you have, listened to these words, when you have learned that heaven rules. In other words, when you learn that God is God and you're not, that's when your kingdom and your life will be restored. And until then, you're going to be driven out of your kingdom. And, and like an animal, you're going to live in the field and you're going to, you're going to eat just like a, a cow in the field and you're going to become like an animal. And your, your madness, so to speak, is going to drive you out of the very kingdom that you, have, that you think that you've constructed and that you've made. And Daniel says, hey, 
you know, I wish that I uh, wasn't saying this to you, Nebuchadnezzar. I wish it was about one of your enemies, but it's about you. You're the one that has not been humble before God, that you've not been willing to be humble before God. So this is going to happen. And then he says, verse 27, look at this. He finishes giving the interpretation, and Daniel says, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. And, and, and what a great word for us today. Stop sinning and do what's right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. Perhaps then, Daniel says, your, your, your kingdom, so to speak, will be restored to you. So I want to give today, with the balance of the time that we have, I want to give two lessons from this lunatic Nebuchadnezzar, two warnings, if you will, from the, from the life of Nebuchadnezzar and specifically from this dream and the experience that we read in chapter four. And here's the first one, because I think these warnings, right, are super applicable to each of us today. It's easy to look at Nebuchadnezzar and think, well, he was a lunatic, he was crazy, that's not me. But we all have a little bit of Nebuchadnezzar in us. We all have a little bit of pride, a desire to, to, to make a name for ourselves, to be an image builder, to have people come around us and, and tell us how great we are. And so here's the warnings that we need to heed from chapter four today in the book of Daniel from the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's the first one. He lost touch with the needs of others. You say, Chris, where are you getting that from? Look at verse four. Let me read it to you again. He's writing, Nebuchadnezzar saying this himself. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and, the NLT says, prosperity. You know, I think those are two of the great sort of demigods that we chase after in this world. Comfort and prosperity. And I think in, in this culture that we live in, we, we're, we're so beholden to those two things. And when we lose touch with the needs all around us, we lose touch with the brokenness of this world. We're reminded on it, of it when we read the news, we pick up a newspaper of so many hurting people around us. But as we chase after comfort and prosperity, and even as we live in that comfort of prosperity, it's easy to lose touch with the needs of other people. Specifically for Nebuchadnezzar in context, he doesn't show mercy to the oppressed. Here's the most powerful and important person in the world, but he's not using that influence and that power to help other people. There's nothing wrong with influence. There's nothing wrong with leadership, but it, it has to be used for the benefit of other people. That's what God's saying to Nebuchadnezzar. I put you in this position and you're not using it to help other people, especially the oppressed. I put here in my notes, it's, it's, it's a scary place to live, right? The place is called Meville. And Meville, M-E, is a scary place to live because the population is one, right? There's not room for anybody else, any other opinion, any other way of thinking, anybody else's needs but myself. And I begin to worship myself. And, you know, we talked about earlier, we can't stand the, the weight of our own worship. Other people can't bear the weight of our worship. And when we begin to worship ourselves or a lifestyle or comfort or prosperity, it collapses in on itself. You know, a lot of us think, well, man, if I had money, if I had power like Nebuchadnezzar, I would look out for other people. But then when we get in those positions, or if we are in those positions today, are we looking out for other people? Have we lost touch with the needs of other people around us? It's a great question for us to ask and to answer from Nebuchadnezzar's warnings, these lessons that we can learn from him. He lost touch with the needs of others. But here's the second one. Very simply, he lost touch with his own need. 
Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar had a need. It wasn't for material things. It wasn't for any kind of pleasure or comfort. He had all those things and more. What Nebuchadnezzar needed was to understand the order of the relationship that God created him to live in. You see, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was a god. And what Nebuchadnezzar needed more than anything else was to be humbled and to to be invited into a right relationship with the one true God. Let me say it another way. Nebuchadnezzar has everything he wants. See if this resonates with you. He has everything he wants, but he has nothing that he needs. He still believes that he's a God unto himself. And you know, the lesson from his life here, and even this dream that he dreams, is that no one is exempt from pride and the effects of pride. That word, you know, circle that word, you know, myself. And how many times it appears in chapter 4, the word I or my or myself, all he can think about is himself. He's built all of this around himself. He doesn't think he needs God because he thinks he is a God. And so look at verse 29. Um, Daniel is, is again, um, giving advice and interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. He says, hey, you got to turn. But, but look at verses 28 and 29. But all these things did happen to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't learn the lessons, the very lessons that we're trying to learn from his life. He didn't learn. And verse 29, 12 months later, he's taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon, and he looks out across the city, and he says, look at this great city of Babylon, and look at that circle again, the words my. By my mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic Splendor, a lot, lot, lot of mys there. Nebuchadnezzar continues to make it about himself. He's lost touch with his own need for God and to understand the righteousness that only comes from God. What about you? What, what, about, what about us? After all the miracles and the interpretations and the experiences, all the encounters that Nebuchadnezzar had with the one true God, he still doesn't understand that God's trying to get his attention to humble him to recognize his own need. And so what happens next is an extreme example of what can happen if we don't humble ourselves before God and we're humbled by God. Nebuchadnezzar is literally driven out of his kingdom, just like was prophesied by Daniel in the dream. He's he's driven out in that very moment that he's walking around and saying, looking out, looking at all the things that he thinks that he's made and built and created to reflect his own image, to be an image builder. In that moment, You know, God says your kingdom is being taken away from you and you're going to be driven out. You're going to live like an animal, you know, of the field. And and, and literally Nebuchadnezzar is driven into madness. His own pride and lunacy collapses in on himself. I mean, this is a picture of what that might have looked like. And you can even just kind of see in his eyes a person that is riddled with fear, uh, that that, that really has, um, you know, become a captive of his own pride. You know, the the weight of his image building has sort of collapsed in on itself and it's driven him literally to madness. I mean, he's down on the ground as as a humbled person. This is the most powerful and important person in the world during this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, who's humbled to, to walk around, crawl around like an animal on the ground. I mean, talk about being humbled before God. And we can either be humble or we'll be humbled. But I want to leave you with some hope today as we finish chapter four, because there is hope in this message. 
as we think about being humble before God or being humbled by God, and certainly Nebuchadnezzar is humbled by God, we see a lot of hope too. Uh, look at the last little section here, verses 34 through 37. After that time had passed, there was a season that Nebuchadnezzar was driven out and humbled before God and other people. He does what? Instead of looking out, he looks up to heaven. Verse 34, he looks to the one true God and he says, my sanity was restored and I, I praised and I worshiped the most high and I honored the one who lives forever. That's a statement of humility, Daniel chapter four, verse 34. Instead of looking out, verse 30, to this kingdom that he thinks he's built unto himself to reflect his majesty, he looks up, verse 34. That's the difference. If you circle verse 30, you circle verse 34, you see somebody who hasn't been humbled and someone who has been humbled. Nebuchadnezzar looks out as a prideful person in verse 30 and looks to himself and all that he's built. In verse 34, he looks up to heaven and he declares uh, the God of heaven is the only one to be praised and to be worshiped the most high. And he goes on, verse 35 and 36, and he talks about the everlasting uh, rule and reign of God and says all these incredible things. Who can stop him? Um, he does what he pleases. Um, and he says, when my, verse 36, when my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and my glory and kingdom. And, and my advisors sought my counsel again, and I was restored to even greater honor. And then this is how chapter 4 ends, and this is how the story of Nebuchadnezzar, as told by Daniel, ends in verse 37, chapter 4. He says, now I, again, Nebuchadnezzar speaking, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able, listen to these words, to humble the proud. God is able to humble the proud. In other words, bottom line, I can be humble before God or I will be humbled by God. And in this way, Nebuchadnezzar being driven out and being driven to madness and crawling around the ground was almost a grace to him. He had to be humbled in that way. The relationship had to be redefined with God being God and Nebuchadnezzar being a man humbled before him not to receive glory, but to reflect God's glory in and through his life. You know, at the end, guys, as I finish here, at the end of our schemes and our pride and our selfishness and, you know, our lack of humility, Jesus is waiting for us. At the end of all of our building of images and looking out at things that we think that are all about us, God's waiting for us and inviting us into a right relationship with him through humility, through recognizing our own need for God. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3, as he's teaching through what are known as the Beatitudes. He says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. In other words, you're impoverished within your heart. You know your need for God. When you know you need God, when you're humbled, you're blessed because the kingdom is near. The kingdom is yours. Jesus is near to you if you know that you need him and you're humble before him. I want you to think about this as we close today. Final thought. The persecutor of Israel, as we say goodbye to Nebuchadnezzar, the destroyer of Jerusalem and the, and the temple, the, the, this most powerful, mighty Nebuchadnezzar is, is brought low and humbled under the mighty hand of God by God's grace. And who was the instrument of God's grace to Nebuchadnezzar? It was a captive who was taken from his home as a 15-year-old, but decided to follow God no matter what. His name is Daniel. 
He's the one that brought life and light to this Gentile, Nebuchadnezzar. And the story gets even better just to, to look ahead to Jesus because Jesus is, is coming centuries later to be born as a, a humble child in a manger. And, and you'll remember in, the, in the, the birth narrative of Jesus that there's wise men, right? Otherwise known as the Magi who come from where? They come from the east, what used to be Babylon. And they come to worship the most high king, the one that they have heard about. Where did the magi, where did the wise men, where did they hear about the Messiah and this prophecy of the one who was going to be born to bring life and light to all of the world? It was Daniel. It had to be. It was the captives who lived among the Babylonians centuries before that for an entire generation were faithful to tell the stories of God and to point people to the most high God and give the message that is the message today from Daniel chapter 4, the bottom line. Be humble before God or be humbled by God. We're going to continue next week in Daniel chapter 5. Maybe read ahead. Some of you are familiar with the colloquialism, the handwriting is on the wall. We'll talk about where that comes from in Daniel chapter 5 as we continue our story next week. I hope you'll join us. Let's pray together. King of heaven, most high God, you are, you are just and you are true. You are able to humble and exalt. We see that from the story today in Daniel 4. So we pray that you would give us wisdom to know what you're speaking to us through this word today, and you'd give us courage and faith to live it out. We pray that your kingdom, most high God, would come and would rule and reign on this earth as it is in heaven and begin in our hearts today as we humble ourselves before you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray this, amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, no matter where you are right now, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Have a great week, New City.